This is Matters with Mel Faxon and Matteo Itzi. Today, we on the podcast, we have Rajesh Chandy with us. Thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. Um, Rajesh is the academic director of the Wheeler Institute for Business and Development, um, and he holds the Tony and Maureen Wheeler Chair in Entrepreneurship. He's also a professor and area chair in the marketing department here at London Business School. Um, so thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited to talk a little bit more um, with you today. Um, but before we jump into our topic of discussion, we want have a, we always do a couple like rapid fire questions uh, to break the ice. So diving right in, what were your first perceptions of London Business School? Well. My first entry to London Business School from the was from the Park Road entrance, <laughs> uh, which was not what was advertised in the brochures. Yeah, and uh, and so really this famous place with this tiny entrance. Uh, those British really are modest. Uh, was uh, was was my impression. Yes, but then the second I'm a bit of a uh, food addict, uh, and then I remember thinking this may be a bit of a secret on campus. Faculty dining is excellent. Really? I know. I heard you. So <laughs> I, I remember thinking to, I saying to those who were LBS faculty at the time, I was not saying, you eat like this every day? And they're like, yeah, of course, yeah. Like, okay. Uh, <laughs> so another, that sounds pretty good to me. Yes, Something. that was my impression. Good food and uh, strange entrance. Strange yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so then, I guess, rewind. Did you ever think that you had become a part of London Business School before you accepted the offer? No. In fact, uh, maybe it's useful to give a bit of background on yeah. how faculty hiring works, mm. at least when you are what's called a non-rookie. Okay? So there are... Uh, Experienced hire. Well, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So uh, there are rookies uh, who are uh, those who uh, finish a PhD and immediately join uh, a particular school. There's a very structured process around that, interviews, blah, blah, blah. When you're a non-rookie, so in my case, I was a chaired professor at an, another university, um, the process is a lot more like, well, you know what you think and you what you want, but you don't want to reveal, and the other person knows what he or she wants, and you don't want to... It's just a little dance that happens, almost like mm -hmm. a dating game. So, uh, and most of the time, you know, it's one of those things where you have a conversation uh, and that's the end of it, yeah? And in, our, in my case, they invited me to come and give a talk, which we all do as academics. We go to other universities, give talks. Most of the time, it's exactly that, just mm -hmm. that. Um, but yeah, and it was glorious summer. We do something at London Business School. Now I say we, because at the time I wasn't mm -hmm. part of the we. Um, they had invited me for something called the summer research camp. So it's perfectly timed. It's a glorious summer day most of the time. Uh, and uh, the sun streaming in this beautiful building once you get through the entrance. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and you talk about your research along with a bunch of other prominent uh, academics who school invites as well mm -hmm. uh, for the okay for the weekend. Uh, so it's a wonderful day socializing with the faculty and so on. So I did my thing, went back, uh, and then suddenly I get a call saying, oh, we'd like to explore whether you'd be interested. I, I mean, London's special. I'm from... Uh, I mean, it's not even a village. It's uh, our closest neighbors when I was growing up were, you know, 
I didn't really grow up, grow up there, but where my family lived, uh, uh, the closest neighbors were miles away. We were in the middle of the forest. There were elephants and all of that. So big city, this is like a big deal for me. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, the opportunity to live in a big city is a huge deal. Mm -hmm. I'd lived in L.A. before. I loved it. So um, they called. I, uh, I said, uh, yeah, but you know, I've got all of these other things going. So it took two years before. I could go on, but it took two years before I finally showed up uh, uh, on campus uh, and accepted the official offer. Wow. Wow, yeah. Was there anything about LBS that surprised you when you first got here? About LBS, um, um, uh, about, you know, LBS is like a little outpost of North America in the middle of central London. Mm. Um, I was just struck by how, I mean, obviously we talk about how diverse the community is, which is absolutely true. But at the same time, to me, what was surprising, therefore, because I kind of knew, you know, it's London, it's Europe, it's different. Um, but what was surprising was just how common the values were. Um, and some of them were what I associated as North American academic values, but it just turns out to be good research values. <laughs> that was my lack of knowledge outside North America. So yes, that was what I thought at the time. Um, and finally, what is the secret thing about London or the UK that you just really enjoy? That secret meaning maybe maybe it's very personal to you or you think that a lot of people don't, don't know about it? Well, uh, I mean, London, again, the joy of London is just the everyday secrets. The, the secrets you discover every mm -hmm. day. Mm -hmm. uh, and every little alleyway uh, might lead you to something where you go, wow, who, who, had, who had no idea? In fact, when I first arrived here, someone gave me uh, a book of medieval London maps, mm -hmm. you know, and it's striking, you know, to see change and constancy uh, uh, to this day. But my secret thing, at least what made me, as a newcomer to London, what made me feel um, uh, surprised at the time was within a week or so of you walking around in London, people will come and ask you for directions, assuming you're a local. Mm -hmm. uh, and so in a week, you can become a local. Uh, and you just, yeah, I guess there's some sort of strut. And maybe it's also the jaywalking. You, you cross the road when the lights are, you're not supposed to be crossing. Yeah. That immediately brands you as a local and you look very confident around yourself uh, crossing, you know, when the, the, uh, the roads are in the wrong direction or the direction of traffic is in the wrong direction and so on. So immediately uh, you're a local and people ask you. So you fit in very quickly in London, uh, in London was my revelation. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Yeah. I, I, it resonates with me. Yeah, for sure. I think that's why I love it. And because it, it is so diverse that you, you can find like any groupings of people that you do fit in with immediately and like you everyone looks like they could be part of part of it yeah and and people assume you are yeah, you know that's exactly. what I, I i love about it is you you're, you're here you must be a local <laughs> <laughs> awesome well thank you so much for that so uh we will kind of dive a little bit right in um to our main topic of discussion today um so many students know you from uh, the South Africa GBE, which I had the absolute pleasure of, of joining. And GBE meaning Global Business Experience. Oh, yes, <laughs> to clarify on all these acronyms. Um, but, and others might only see, you know, see your online profile and see the Wheeler uh, Chair for Entrepreneurship and Innovation. Um, were you always researching and engaging with entrepreneurs? 
I, I should mention before I answer what, yes. uh, question, uh, this is, uh, uh, two points. One um, is, yes, South Africa GB is one of my highlights as well. Every year. <laughs> it's so is, good. <laughs> uh, we've been there uh, now eight years, in a, and every year is just special. It, it tugs at the heart as well as the mind. You know, that's what is striking about it. I also take our students to India. Uh, so the, um, uh, to some rural part of India plus uh, Bombay is where mm -hmm. we go. And if the stars align and everything goes well, we also hope to go to uh, Kenya, uh, to Nairobi, around digital for development as the theme. Okay. Oh, that'll be awesome. um, uh, we'll see. Uh, to be determined. Uh, so, yes, a lot of my teaching is in, uh, in, uh, um, in experiential uh, uh, courses. So uh, at least in the MBA program, I don't teach. Uh, in a classroom in the strict sense anymore. I used to. Um, and indeed, as you said, uh, uh, almost all of it is around entrepreneurship. Um, uh, and by no means was I, uh, uh, um, I mean, I, I still question whether I'm an expert on anything, but uh, uh, certainly my expertise was not in, uh, uh, in entrepreneurship uh, before I came to LPS. Uh, now, at... Um, until I came to LVS, my focus was on innovation, especially in large firms. Um, and I came to LVS, was exposed to a completely different set of uh, 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 phenomena that uh, at some vague level I knew existed. But until you're there, until you walk in the shoes of another, which is what we do in South Africa and India and other places, uh, you don't realize it's not only there, it is big. Uh, and that's partly what led to me focusing, to changing my focus from innovation to entrepreneurship. I could go on for a while on that topic, but uh, let me pause there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, I, we have some more questions on that. Um, but from my perspective, uh, I, I wanted to get a question in on this. Um, so what was your transition from Minnesota to London like? And no pressure, I will try to filter my Minnesotan um, <laughs> preconceptions and, from and, and St. Paul is a very special place. I will <laughs> say that. Uh, and 3M is an amazing company. <laughs> so, oh, yes. so, uh, I've given homage to your roots. Yes. Yeah? <clears throat> and it was, uh, uh, it was a, uh, so I spent eight years uh, in a state in that we know and love in, in America, in the United States, uh, called Minnesota, which is right at the border with, with Canada uh, in, in the Midwest of the United States. Um, and um, the, the uh, transition, as I mentioned, was one that involved just conversations with friends. You come here, and suddenly, uh, next thing you know, you have a, a job here. Mm -hmm. Now, um, from an, from a, as an academic, uh, switching involves, it's a big deal because you have tenure at a place mm -hmm. and uh, you have established roots in a place and, you know, you think a certain way and so on. So it's a, it, you know, I'd been out, I'd been an academic at that point um, for 18 years or so, mm -hmm. uh, or quite a few years. Yeah. And, uh, so it was a, a big deal, but... And, and that I lived in Minnesota for eighteen years. Too. Did you? So that was my childhood, and yeah. so wow. <laughs> but uh, it, it's true. But as you can probably tell, um, I'm from the tropics, <laughs> 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 and, and one of the statistics I know is 
Only 4% of the world's population lives in a place that's colder than Minneapolis-St. Paul. <laughs> so we were in the upper extreme of yes. the human population. Yes. It's all been downhill. <laughs> yes. So um, the transition was uh, both, I mean, you leave friends. You know how it is. Yes. You leave friends. You leave uh, uh, formative memories. Uh, at the same time, London special. Mm-hmm. Uh, London Business School is special. And uh, the, uh, it's, it's changed me in just profound ways. So people talk about a profound impact uh, uh, that the school has, uh, has on, on you know, the way the world runs business and the way business impacts the world. And what, at least in my case, it was also a story of profound impact on academics, the part of people who are part of this community. Uh, and it's not just the students whose thinking changes uh, and, and this institution shapes. Uh, it also shapes anybody who comes across mm-hmm. this institution. Yeah, I think kind of building off of the, like, the way that we imp- like the business impacts the world, um, I think we've talked a little bit about how the, the importance of defining business in world. And I think as you kind of just, do you mind delving into a little bit more about how you view that through the lens of entrepreneurship and, and with yeah. the GBs that you've done? Yeah. Um, and maybe I can link uh, Matteo's question earlier to entrepreneurship and sort of the evolution a bit uh, um, to that as well. So uh, because it, it, what I'm going to describe is often very uh, prevalent, um, certainly in the world of business schools. Uh, and certainly I exemplified this phenomenon. When we say business normally, we mean businesses of the kind that will hire our MBAs. These are large multinational corporations, these are consulting firms, these are um, big banks uh, and various others, or big tech companies that are fast-growing companies, or indeed entrepreneurial companies that they our students uh, uh, create that become giants of tomorrow and so on. And that was very much my perception of what entrepreneurship uh, meant uh, and what business uh, meant uh, as well. Um, I arrived here uh, as part of my sort of uh, package, if you will, of arrival here, I was promised a chair uh, in something. And now, if you're familiar with the concept of chairs, uh, it used to be that if you reached a certain status uh, as an academic, I think it was at Oxford or Cambridge, uh, I may have my facts mixed up, but one of the two universities, they gave you, as a, uh, as a symbol of, your, of the esteem that the university or society holds uh, you in, they gave you a chair. Yeah, uh, a physical chair. A physical chair. Uh, Before that, a, you, you didn't have one. You had, you a had stool. to stand. You had a stool. Oh, you had a stool. Yeah, okay. So the common people had stools. The royalty had thrones. And if you're a aristocracy, you had something else, yeah. but with padding and all that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, presumably. Uh, uh, but a chair with two armrests, yeah, was something you got as, as someone who, at the time, in divinity, it was the area you made a big, yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a token of respect. So they um, offered me a chair, not necessarily a physical chair, but um, uh, in, and that, they would give me this chair in three years was the, uh, was the offer, that let, a written letter I got. So the problem was that the school did not have chairs. So, you know, London Business School, uh, has transformed dramatically over the last several years. When I arrived here, just 
a little over 10 years ago, we had no, if I recall, no significant endowed chairs. Yeah? So we have incredibly prominent faculty who are well-known around the world. Uh, it is very, very common uh, for people with this level of prestige uh, to have chairs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At Minnesota, as soon as you got tenure, you got a chair, pretty much, yeah, <laughs> of some sort, yeah, because there were all these wealthy alumni who wanted to give back by, uh, by endowing something that would attract prominent uh, academics. So to the credit of London Business School, we managed to attract people even without those chairs, mm -hmm. historically. Yeah. Well, in my case, they offered me this chair, and so um, I, I show up. My uh, I was sitting in my office one day here, and uh, my colleague Nader Tavasoli, who's a uh, who was at the time chair of the marketing, uh, the head of the marketing group, uh, Nader shows up in my office and says, so Rajesh, you study innovation, right? I said, yeah. Um, and that's kind of like entrepreneurship, right? And I was like, well, well, I don't know, <laughs> uh, maybe. Uh, uh, it depends. Um, and he says, so you've done this study in emerging markets, right? I said, well, I, mean, I did a study involving 17 countries. Uh, China, India, and a few others happen to be one of 17, including the United States and, and uh, Sweden and the UK and France and various others. Mm, he says, okay, so because you are the closest person we have to uh, someone who does entrepreneurship in emerging markets because you kind of do innovation, which is kind of like entrepreneurship, <laughs> and you've kind of touched on... Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is something about, not about LBS as much as the state of, the study of entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship in emerging markets in business schools. Yeah? Yeah, uh, I don't know if there are any other chairs in entrepreneurship in emerging markets. So he says, uh, so we have this chair on entrepreneurship in emerging markets, and uh, it's endowed by Tony and Maureen Wheeler. That, those were the magic words, yeah. Tony and Maureen Wheeler started Lonely Planet. Uh, and I love travel. In fact, one of the other not-so-secret things about London is that you can travel pretty much anywhere yeah, from, uh, here. Uh, from yeah. here, nonstop in most cases, mm -hmm. right? And I have, uh, in fact, I have, at the time, I had some like 35 different Lonely Planet books. So Nader said, can you, because we're still having discussions with them about this chair, can you type out... Uh, all of the Lonely Planet book titles you have. So I, I had 35, that's how I knew. And he shared it with the Wheelers, who had founded Lonely Planet. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's how I ended up becoming the Lonely Planet. No, the Tony and Marie <laughs> Wheeler <laughs> chair in entrepreneurship. And I thought uh, entrepreneurship and innovation, because I really didn't know a whole lot about mm -hmm. entrepreneurship, kind of knew something about innovation. And um, so I said, you know, hopefully I'll convince them that my stuff is actually kind of cool. Um, so I show up uh, in, uh, at uh, the Wheeler's uh, home uh, for my first conversation. That's when I realized these people really know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. I mean, these people are entrepreneurs, number one. And they've written well, they've dozens spent of years. books. Dozens of books yeah, on emerging yeah. markets. They've spent years of their life. <laughs> they yeah, can right. detect yeah, a fraud yeah. <laughs> pretty quickly. Right? Yeah. I was like, oh, shoot, what did I sign up for here? <laughs> Uh, so I said, so, you know, you stick to your strengths. So, uh, so I study entrepreneurship. And, um, and so, so Tony and wanted to know, so what do you expect to study in the next five years or so? I said, well, you know, emerging markets is exciting. Uh, uh, but, you know, innovation is a big deal there as well. It was, became pretty apparent pretty quickly that they care really about emerging markets and they care really about 
entrepreneurship. Why? They had made their career and impact through um, entrepreneurship, but specifically in emerging markets. And this was a way of giving back to an institution that had made a difference in, in their lives. Tony uh, went to school here. Um, as well as uh, giving back to a cause and a, a, a set of geographies that uh, had made a difference in their lives. So that's how I ended up with the uh, Wheeler chair. But that, and uh, I'll, I'll end with by pointing out, so they, I had to give an inaugural lecture. This is the other thing you get uh, when you become a chair. Uh, uh, the person, assuming person who endowed the chair is still alive or is interested, um, uh, is invited along with a few other dignitaries uh, to an inaugural lecture where you lay out your your agenda for the next five years of, uh, of research. And that's when I said, oh my God, you know, these people really know what they're doing. And I don't. Uh, so this was a crash course. And if anybody says, you know, professors are the ones who know stuff, it's mostly you're just trying to wing it uh, <laughs> or you're trying to learn, you know, cramming works throughout your life as an academic. And uh, uh, the, the point is, though, you discover new things. You discover, and that's when I realized, oh, my God, the most common type of business on earth is one run by an entrepreneur in an emerging market. So, uh, as an example, in India, 79% of people who are employed, have a livelihood, um, are self-employed. In the United States, 6.5% are self-employed. This is the land of entrepreneurship. Yeah? Most Americans are not entrepreneurs. Most Americans have a job. Mm -hmm. Most people in Sub-Saharan Africa, indeed in, in emerging markets, work for themselves. And their lives are not glamorous. They're not, their lives are not celebrated in business magazines. Yeah. Um, but their lives are terribly important because this is the most common type of business on earth. Half the world's poor eke out a living as entrepreneurs. And what was shocking to me was both in my own life a uh, career of studying, uh, a phenomenon I thought I understood well, uh, innovation certainly, and, and to some extent entrepreneurship, uh, the glaringly obvious thing was I was studying the 0.001% of businesses on earth. And we call ourselves business schools, yeah? London Business School. Not London Multinational Corporation School, yeah? <laughs> London Business School. And how can we ignore the most common business on earth? That would be a bit like medical schools saying, yes, uh, we care about patients in general, but if you're an Olympic athlete or an aspiring potential Olympic athlete, please come your way. We specialize in you. <laughs> if you're just an ordinary person, uh, you know, that's not our thing. Yeah? Uh, my wife is a, a, a teaches at a medical school. Thankfully, for all our <laughs> sakes, that's not how they think. But how can we be a business school and not understand the most common business on earth? And that's been my focus ever since. And it matters even if you are someone who works at a multinational corporation or an investment bank or um, a, a, um, a consulting firm. It matters because their lives matter. It matters because these are our customers. These are our, uh, this is where growth is likely to come from. These are often our suppliers. 
Um, and these are our fellow citizens around the world. Uh, so our, we should care and we should understand them. And that's been part of our agenda at the school. So when we first sat down with you, and I, you probably covered a lot of this um, already, uh, but you mentioned this term that, or th this idea that you wanted to learn about business beyond abstractions mm. um, or beyond the, the theory yeah. or academia. Yeah. Can you, can you kind of match that with, yeah. with this new direction that you had found? It's a very good point. Um, uh, I'm, I'm glad you raised that. You know, these tiny percentage of companies, these, this minuscule uh, proportion of firms in the world that manage to scale to what by standards of, you know, in comparison are gargantuan proportions, the kinds of companies that will hire our MBAs, are truly rare creatures. They are, uh, in, in the sense that it's in the, if you live in London, you take them for granted because they're around us. But in most parts of the world, they don't exist at quite that scale. And the genius yeah, uh, that allows for that scale, the ability to manage across boundaries, across borders, across contexts, across industries, yeah, and bring together a group of fairly disparate individuals who share a few things but do not share many other things and work together toward a common purpose, this is genius. This is, in many ways, the height of human ingenuity. You know? um, and that requires abstraction. That requires you to look beyond an immediate context and say, ah, this is how it works here. How can I scale beyond? How can I look beyond? So we have become very good um, in the last 50 to 100 years at abstracting across contexts. And that's a lot of what we do in business schools. It's, we, you might study, uh, uh, you might do a case study, but the point of the case study is not to understand just that context. It is to take lessons from there, abstract up, and apply them elsewhere. It is to uh, keep in mind frameworks that allow us to think comprehensively, yeah? Uh, and are in some ways uh, semi-universal. Yeah, that allow you a toolkit to think across context. That's what I mean by abstraction, and that's a good thing. However, that also means that unless we're very careful, we will lose touch with what is actually happening on the ground. And this becomes more and more important when we're, and more and more likely, the higher we go in organizations, or the more abstract our tasks are. So if you're in financial engineering, you know, you're several steps removed in abstraction relative to, and that's your genius, yeah, uh, relative to what is actually happening in a factory floor that you're analyzing. Yeah? Um, but at the same time, what happens in that factory floor is crucial. And, the, uh, and so what we try to do, for example, when we go to South Africa, for example, when we go to uh, India and so on, is walk in the shoes of the other walk in a very concrete way to, to see the world from, in, from the, through the eyes of someone who may be at one end of your supply chain, who may be at one end of your customer uh, uh, value chain, yeah? who may be in a different end of your supplier chain. Yeah? 
And if you're sitting in Canary Wharf or Wall Street or elsewhere, this person is just not even a data point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this person is a a an abstraction of an abstraction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, because a data point in itself is an abstraction, right? And that's when businesses lose touch with society. Businesses lose touch with reality. Yeah? And so. Uh, uh, while recognizing the genius of abstraction and the importance of it, I would uh, urge each of us, and this is what I try to do in my own research, is academics always abstract up. This is what we do for a living. But you have to be on the ground. You have to see the world from the bottom up. Uh, and uh, that concreteness gives you a, a closer sense of reality. That gives you a, a check on whether your models still apply. And that becomes harder to do the more established you are in whatever field we do it better. I think that was one of the things that was so impactful for me in Johannesburg when we were working with micro-entrepreneurs was a lot of the things we learn here are very kind of high-level, like Porter's Five Forces or things like that, that you go in thinking, how how is this going to actually help like someone who's trying to sell like chicken on the side of the road, but it helps so much, and yeah. it, and it's really cool to yeah. to co- to break it down into like out of that abstraction and apply it in a real way, yeah. and to see the impact that you can have for for businesses of any size yeah. or for for these individuals. And, and this is so true, Mel. In fact, uh, it, part of what you may have experienced as well is when you break when you break it down, and you have to communicate with that person selling chicken by the side of the side of the road the abstract ideas in a manner that resonates. That is important discipline right there. Absolutely. Otherwise, we get too lost in jargon. Right. And in our own little worlds, yeah, uh, that, again, we lose touch of reality. And that is and that, and that is often hard. Uh, uh, what was your experience? Uh, you know, the, to convert those ideas in a, and, and, and state them in a manner that still makes sense and are compelling is a very hard task, but is an important task. Absolutely, and we still get we still get texts from yeah, our, right. from Lolina, so it's it's really cool to know. Uh, entrepreneur yeah, from the entrepreneur that we worked with, um, we still get some photos of her on her Facebook that she's now like using. Um, but I think it, it and I think it's so important, just the idea of language and how to break down concepts in, in interactions with your colleagues, but like on any kind of scale in the business as well. So I think that's why. I would recommend, like, huge plug for Johannesburg GBE. Uh, but that's why I would recommend something like that because it is so impactful to have that experience and to know that it's going to be necessary no matter where you go after school. Do you think that business schools or the kind of application of business um, learnings has changed uh, entrepreneurship in emerging markets yet? Right. Uh, there are two elements, in, uh, if, I, uh, if I understand your question correctly, um, in, in what you say. One is about um, w- emerging markets and, and uh, their relevance to businesses more broadly. Mm-hmm. And the second is the role of, sort of business skills, business insights Correct. Uh, um, in entrepreneurship and, and whether that has made a difference and mm-hmm. can make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Let me take each of those sure, um, sure, separately yeah. because the answers are somewhat um, complementary but different. So on uh, on how emerging markets have changed, now, unless you've been living in a cave somewhere, you know, the last 30 years, you know that the growth in the world today is largely powered by emerging markets. And so 
it's it's not something you could just say you know eventually uh that's where the growth is now it doesn't mean you can't grow uh domestically um uh, just by focusing locally but these are the obvious places of growth these this is where excitement exists right? so uh India's growing at 7%, China's growing at, you know, equivalent levels. Uh, these are billion-plus uh, population places. Uh, and much of the rest of the world is at 1% or 2% or negative in many cases uh, uh, in the developed world. So the growth is there. And so um, we have to appreciate what what is happening there. And what is happening there is unprecedented in human history. And I have to clarify this, yeah. Um, during the Victorian era, okay, roughly 1820 to 1870, the United Kingdom saw its transformation from a tiny uh, economy uh, in the fringes of Europe to uh, an empire that ruled the world, uh, from a largely agrarian society uh, to an industrial powerhouse, a largely rural society to be largely you know, the places we're in right now. <clears throat> now, uh, and I often ask this question, what do you think was the average annual growth rate in GDP during the reign of Queen Victoria, well, let's say roughly 1820 to 1870? year after year after year of 1.3% uh, growth. In fact, much of the growth um, in terms of speed of growth, uh, even in the West, has happened post-World War II mm -hmm. um, relative yeah. to uh, before. And now compare that to what is happening in, in, in the emerging markets. This is dramatically more faster. So what took to double GDP to a little over $2,000 um, uh, in the UK took 154 years. To double GDP to that amount uh, in China took about, uh, I think it was six, uh, no, 12 years. Wow. Uh, India was about 16 years. Yeah. That's, that's the level of compressed change that is happening. And, uh, and so this is exciting, no matter where you live. Yeah? And uh, no matter w what you do, this matters. Uh, it's exciting also from the perspective of Im impact. Yeah? Uh, what you do, you could be an innovator right here or in St. Paul, Minnesota, mm -hmm. and your, what you do could have an impact in the lives of many around the world. And they are getting things. They're getting highways at the same time as they're getting electricity and mobile phones and uh, uh, cars. Uh, all of this is happening at the same time, which and this was something that happened over decades, indeed centuries, uh, in in the West. Yeah, so this is a hugely exciting place uh, as a uh, as a, a business, uh, as an individual business person, uh, and and it has and we live we're living through right now. We're fortunate enough to live through a truly momentous historic moment in human history. Yeah, that's why that's important. Back to your point about. Um, about the impact of business on entrepreneurship. Once again, they are, I might be a small business owner selling chicken uh, uh, by the side of the road in, in South Africa, but my life today is different from what it was before. You know, I have a mobile phone, you know, I may have, I may run multiple uh, 
operations in different parts of, the, uh, of South Africa. Uh, and I'm exposed uh, to insights, information, um, access to finance, access to skills in a way that I did not have before. And that makes a difference. And so, in fact, our research agenda, uh, partly reflected in South Africa GBE, a lot of which will be reflected if we make the Nairobi GBE work there, uh, is around the constraints that entrepreneurs in emerging markets face and ways in which we can overcome them. This could be access to information, access to um, um, skills, access to finance, access to better rules and regulations, uh, and technology more generally enabling all of that. Excellent. Yeah, I think, uh, thank you so much for coming in. I think we're up against our time. Got to get to your next meeting. Um, I think this this was just fascinating for me. So I've, I've the, the FOMO is strong in here. I did not uh, participate in the Johannesburg <laughs> GBE, but, um, but I think I, I got a really strong sense for, you know, the purpose of the, the Wheeler Chair for Entrepreneurship, but in the broader sense, the purpose for um, uh, studying and experiencing and, and really walking in the shoes of the other in the emer in emerging markets, in entrepreneurship, uh, in emerging markets in general. Can I end with just a, a tiny plug uh, for one last thing uh, involving the Wheelers? So uh, last year, the Wheelers uh, created, uh, made another big gift to London Business School to create the Wheeler Institute, the Wheeler Institute for Business and Development, uh, which, uh, as you mentioned, Mel, I'm, I'm one of the academic directors of. Uh, the intent of the Wheeler Institute is to um, help disseminate some of these ideas and help our students um, be ahead of the rest of the world uh, in uh, understanding and walking the shoes and understanding phenomena that most others fail to see uh, in this intersection of business and development, business and impact. And uh, there are several initiatives underway. Um, Amelia Whitelaw uh, on campus, who's the executive director, will be able to give you lots of details, but one of which is uh, the Wheeler Internships, where uh, if you're interested in spending a summer uh, working on a project uh, on the ground very often on the, at the intersection of business and development. So we have projects with uh, MCOPA, which is solar energy in Kenya. We have projects with uh, uh, the Red Cross, um, um, we have projects in, in healthcare in Africa and so on. Um, Amelia is looking um, to uh, fund these uh, internships for our MBA students, uh, for our uh, LDS community. Now, can I go back and do another internship? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Yeah, I know, right? Um, yeah, well, again, I just want to echo what Mateo said. Um, this is obviously a topic that I'm very passionate about, and thank you so much for coming in um, and speaking with us today. And everyone go to Johannesburg in India. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and check out the Wheeler Institute uh, if you're interested in any of those internship opportunities. Yeah. Thank you, Mateo. Thank you, Mel, for this initiative. Uh, it's been an absolute delight. Thank you. Matters is made by Mel Faxon and Matteo Itzi. It is recorded at the London Business School Recording Studio by Stuart Barton. Our theme music was written and performed by Matt Jackson.